Why do we love underdogs or surprise winners? Malcolm Gladwell, journalist, author and public speaker says, when you're an underdog, you're forced to try things you would never otherwise have attempted. Good point. You try and do things outside of your comfort zone. Famous lyricist, songwriter and poet Tori Previn says, beware of barking at underdogs. Don't fight with people who have nothing to lose. Which means they're desperate. They don't care. All they can see is up and somebody who's easy to defeat or somebody you can beat and go on ahead. The bottom line is this. Everybody loves a surprise winner, especially if the winner comes out of nowhere, try and triumphs over proven and established rivals, etc., etc. History is full of many such stories. And this week, we shall talk of a few. From teen tennis sensation Emma Raducanu and Wimbledon legend Boris Becker to historical figures like Joan of Arc, we shall try and find out a few stories about Mike Tyson, the legendary heavyweight boxer. We'll discover a phenomenon called linsanity and also somehow find a way to talk of a few battles and also a few Hollywood movies. Welcome to our weekly podcast on surprise winners and underdogs. I'm Ratin Basu and with me is the man who has never been upset in his life and always swears by his match-winning smile, Joy Bhattacharya. And this is Fact of the Matter. So hello, Joy. Underdog or established winner? Who do you prefer? Which sort of story do you really gun for, which makes you chuckle? I have to say I go for the underdog every time. Anyone who's seen my high school report cards will know that I'm obviously (laughs) heavily in favor of the underdog. Because after those report cards, the fact that I actually have made a living for the last 30 odd years is a major surprise to all my teachers. Bless them if they're alive right now. That's so uh, fantastic. Yeah. This Emma Raducanu win, that was absolutely fantastic to see a US Open like that. You know, 18-year-old girl beating a 19-year-old Canadian girl. The first British woman to win a Grand Slam since Virginia Wade in 1977. So many stories out there, right? That's brilliant. Absolutely true. And that's what we are going to do in our main course today. Our first section, we are going to discuss a few of these incidents. Joy, carry on, because what better way to start off than to discuss Emma Raducanu, the toast of, uh, you know, the town, so as to speak. I mean, Emma Raducanu is somebody who's everyone has now read so much about and it's a very inspiring story. But what I want to take you back to is people who are unseeded, who have ended up winning Grand Slam matches. Right. And I think the first person who comes to mind because this was just about when I'm starting to follow tennis pretty seriously was Mats Willander. Okay. 17 years old, 1982. He came in and he took out the French Open. He beat Guillermo Velas, who was a noted clay court specialist in those days. Four hours and 42 minutes. Willander just kept hitting it from the backcourt and it was one of those matches. And of course, Willander went on to seven Grand Slams, top ranked male by 88. But I mean, clay and you know that that baseline game was his game. But five years later, if you thought that you know Willander has done this and it's absolutely amazing, five years later, Boris Becker did even more. 17 years and 227 days, he won his first Grand Slam. He knocked over Kevin Curran, and Kevin Curran that year was in red hot form. He'd right. beaten John McEnroe, he'd beaten Jimmy Connors. He thought, I've done it, man. I'm going to win it. And then Boris Becker comes and beats him. But the craziest fact about it is not that Boris Becker won it that year. Right. The craziest fact about it is Doris Becker was born on the 22nd of November 1967 and he won the 1985 Wimbledon men's senior singles event. Right. The Wimbledon boys champion that year was a Mexican player called Leonardo Laval. 
yes. who was born on 14th July 1967. So Leonardo Laval was actually older, three years, three months older than the Wimbledon men's champion. The boys' champion was three years older than the men's champion, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, that just goes to show how phenomenal Becker's performance was. Well, you speak of Becker, I and talking of underdogs, and you said Rylander before that and the French Open. I remember Michael Chang and when he came out of nowhere and won the French, if you remember, and actually had served underhand in one of the uh, lead-up yeah, games he, over he was there. so tired, yeah. So tired, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he played underhand. against Ivan Lentil and he was really... I remember Ivan Lentil looking at him and wondering, what is this guy doing? I mean, I'm Ivan Lentil and he's serving underhand. Underhand, me. yeah, exactly. So, but he, he took out... So, talking of underhand, I want to... Yeah, yeah we're talking of underhand, I want to take you to cricket because obviously, if you've come this far, we've got to talk about cricket and guys who came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, obviously, the big... All the big, big examples are from Pakistan. You know, Vasi right. Makram, club cricketer, not selected for his school's college team. He was not selected for his... Uh, sorry, not for his school's college team, for his college team. Right. This guy goes on, he's bowling in the nets. Imran sees him. Javed Miyadad sees him. So, a lot of people say that, you know, Imran was credited with stop spotting him. But it's Javed Miyadad who said, give him a couple of first-class matches and then let him start playing. So, he literally played two first-class matches and he's straight into the team. But even that is not as good a story as a certain... Ujesh Ranchor. You need to be a really hardcore cricket guy to follow him. He's a Zimbabwe cricketer. He played one test match in his life. But the important thing about it is, he never played a first-class match before this. He played one test match, comes into Delhi, plays a test match, gets one wicket in his entire test career. That wicket is Sachin Tendulkar. And then he goes back <laughs> to <Oops. laughs> He should, he should, he should uh, resurrect his uh, great moment by immediately investing in a NFT, a non-fungible token, and put it out. I mean, that that could be his ticket to stardom for uh, Mr. Ranchod. But what a fascinating story. You talk of Vasi Makram, I can throw you a story about Inzamamul Hakjoy, which I'm sure you're aware of. How, how apparently Imran saw him tonking the ball all over the park one day and you know, he was not even part of the first class cricket setup, from what I remember. And then, you know, he was very soon fast tracked, and only uh, iconic captain like Imran, who had that level of control to get, you know, players into the cricket system of Pakistan, came in. And there are so many stories from Pakistan. You're so right. I mean, we could do, uh, I think, a, a, a separate episode on Pakistan cricket and its, uh, you know, bevy of stars who come in from nowhere. And, you know, you'll probably you know, need hours to actually do justice to something like that. But uh, we've talked of tennis, you've talked of Becker, Becker and Edberg, uh, if you remember, where the two key players who actually dominated Wimbledon for probably four Yeah, the serve and volume, that late 80s, early 90s serve and volley game. Of course, the surface has changed a lot, but yeah. those were interesting. In their own ways, they were fascinating matches. Correct. And uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, I remember, you know, how Becker from being the underdog was the favourite and then another German called Michael Stich came from nowhere and actually uh, took him apart. And there was a very famous uh, Amul ad which which came there which was called Stich to the winner Baki Sab Bekar hai, or Becker hai. Yeah, yeah but, I, I but since you said that then I, I basically I have to use the best Amul tennis ad that I've ever heard. Which is? When Pat Cash beat Ivan Lentil Right. I think it was at Wimbledon. Right. The line was, I think the best line they've ever given for tennis, cash is better than check. <laughs> C-Z-E-C-H. I thought it was a fantastic line. Fantastic I said it's the best one. tennis line Namul has ever got. So, 
you've spoken about sport and i am going to twist it around and i'm going to go into a underdog story or a surprise story from the world of history and from a very famous battle and my story is about duke leopold the 1st of austria in the year 1315 he decided for some weird reason to actually take on the swiss you know and uh, according to a chronicler at that time johannes vitodranus he said the men of this army came together with a single minded purpose to utterly subdue and humiliate those peasants who were surrounded with mountains as if with walls so he got collection of anywhere between 3000 to 5000 soldiers and cavalry what did the swiss have i mean i don't know whether they were into banking at that point in time i don't think so but these guys only had something called a halberd which was basically like a, a combination of a pocket knife and a spear and a, you know like a axe or a meat hook or whatever you call it now leopold's austrian army had heavily armored horses had you know heavy mail and plate armor that could withstand all the attacks etc so he decided that's it i have to teach the swiss a lesson and so he went on his own on november 15th as he was entering switzerland between lake egeri and morgarten and this is called the battle of morgarten um leopold's army saw a roadblock with a very steep slope on one side and a swamp on the other now you know being the favorite if i may use the word he didn't figure out that this could be a trap so whatever his entire you know army walked in into this small cramped area there were 1500 joy swiss and federates in the cliffs above and they started hurling rocks and logs from above and the austrians thought they were being assaulted by probably you know star wars like ewoks for all you know and <laughs> and the halberd uh, wielding swiss you know army or the footmen they started coming in from the front so there was no way these guys could move the austrians it was it was an absolute massacre from what i what i found out and you know whoever as as a website called crack.com had there's a very nice article about this they say that whoever wasn't conked on the head with a boulder was forced off the road and into the swamp by the swiss footmen with the halberds so for all their advances in armor plating the army of leopold was undone by logs and rocks so this is a big victory for the swiss who are not normally known as you know for being a part of major battles like they successfully managed to stay out from both the big world wars and you know focus more yeah. on banking and yeah yeah. yeah but an amazing story and you know this is exactly the point how things change in battle it could be the climate it could be anything so you know agincourt also you know the yeah. the entire welsh archers and it's a whole place was churned up and the thing was most of the welsh archers had dysentery so the craziest story is the people who was telling the story of who were actually in the battlefield say yeah. there are all these archers who were firing none of them are wearing pants or shorts or anything below because they're all they have dysentery and these french knights dressed up gorgeously dressed and they were just absolutely massacred by the welsh longbows here but can you imagine guys with who are not even wearing pants are shooting <laughs> the flower of french aristocracy to pieces Unbelievable. Well, well, the French uh, during the times of Louis the Sixteenth had 
piss boys, you know, walking around in the middle of uh, the palaces. So, uh, I mean, you know, these these guys do have uh, quirky ways of dealing with, uh, how do you put it, ablutions? Yeah. So, from ablutions, let's try and move into a completely new area. Do you have any other story, Joy, about battles or rulers or anything of that sort? I just have to tell you about one of my favorite guys. Uh, Robert Graves wrote two books about him. I, Claudius and Claudius the God, who's this Roman emperor, Tivius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, better known as Claudius. And I'll tell you why I like him. He had a limp, he had deafness, he stuttered, he could barely walk properly and Basically, he was there. He was a consul, but not considered important at all. His nephew Caligula, Caligula was the emperor. But right. Caligula was just such a depraved guy that he he just made everybody unhappy. And the Praetorian Guard, who were his secret guard, they got together and killed him. And they killed off other important members of their family. So now the only guy who's around, running around, and Claudius finds everyone being massacred, Caligula is killed. He runs and hides in the palace, okay, behind a curtain. And one of the Praetorian guards called Gratus found him. And he okay. said, oh God, I'm going to die now. And the Praetorian guard probably thought that he was the only guy who was so stupid and, you know, so incapable that if they make him emperor, they would be able to run the country by proxy. Right. So instead of being killed, they go and make Claudius the emperor. He remains the emperor for 13 years. And by all accounts, is a hugely successful emperor. So this <laughs> guy gets spared because people think that he's capable of nothing. And he goes on and becomes a Roman emperor for 13 years. I mean, you must read the two Robert Graves book on him. They're absolutely fantastic. Oh, would, would I, Claudius and Claudius the God. And tell me something. Caligula means little boots, right? It was like yeah. a, a derogatory name given to him because he had small feet, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I'm not sure whether it was uh, small feet or whether it was an endearment when he was small. But see, again, Caligula, when he was young, was very good looking and loved. He suddenly just went depraved. Of course, what he also did was, I think, one of the most famous soft pornography films of all time when it was made was Peter. Caligula because... Peter too. His, I yeah. think. His uh, excesses were legendary. Absolutely yes. legendary. Yes. 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 Well, talking of Peter tool, I want to finish off today's main course by going into the world of movies and talk about a few upsets or surprise winners. 1993 Joy in the Oscars, Vanessa Redgrave was a shoe-in in the Best Supporting Actress category for her performance in a movie called Howard's End, Kazuo Ishiguro classic, Merchant Ivory production, you know, iconic, Hollywood, legendary, etc, etc. Who won? Marissa Tomei playing a tough-talking New Jersey girlfriend of Joe Petty in the comedy My Cousin Vinny. And a lot of people thought her performance was too lightweight to even merit a nomination to start with. But then, you know, she came up. Moving on to 73, Bob Fosse and Cabaret beat Francis Ford Coppola and The Godfather. Godfather is ranked number two on IMDb's list of the top 250 movies of all time. But back in the day, probably you know, people preferred musicals to gangster movies. So, you know, Francis Ford Coppola got bit beaten by Bob Fosse. However, there are other stories around this. And the one which I really found interesting was 1977. Fantastic year for movies. Best Picture nominees had Taxi Driver, Network, All the Presidents. Wow. Men. Who won? Rocky, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> right, playing the I character do. of Rocky Balboa. And it's so improbable and you'd think 
Rocky, maybe it's commercially success, but it's a movie all about the underdog, about a person who comes from nowhere, from, uh, uh, you know, uh, economically uh, disproportionate uh, socio-demographic category and comes up and wins against the uh, already established boxing superstar. But that's that's the magic of a Rocky, right? And Sylvester Stallone, by the way, also contended in the Best Supporting Actor category for uh, the movie Creed in 2016. So the Rocky legacy uh, continued, not starting from 1977, going up to 2016. You know, Michael Michael Johnson, I think is or, yeah. or whatever, Michael Jordan, I don't know, what whoever played the lead role <laughs> in that movie. And uh, but the last story I have is 2006 Oscars for the best song. Okay. There was a rap group called Three Six Mafia with their song It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp from a drama called Hustle and Flow, beat Dolly Parton and her song Traveling Through from the movie Transamerica. Again, a massive <laughs> upset. Three Six Mafia, they came on stage, they made such a noise that every five minutes people would say that Three Six Mafia is having a massive party while the Oscars are still going on. And the host, John Stewart, <laughs> said, for those of you who are keeping score at home, I just want to make something very clear. Martin Scorsese, zero Oscars, Three Six Mafia, one. I think that was hard. <laughs> very hard. That is, that's, that, that really hurts. But I'll tell you what hurts even more. Can you imagine... R.T. Berman, okay, yes. probably our greatest musical composer of the you know 70s and 80s, wins his first. I mean, he does not win anything till Sanam Teri Kasam in 1982. I mean, all his films. And I remember in 19, I think it was 72 or 73. There was a film called Beiman right. that wins the best music. Right. What's up against him? Jawani Diwani by R.T. Berman. Fantastic right. soundtrack. Amar Prem. I mean, yeah. can you get a better soundtrack than that? And Pakiza. Probably Gulam Mohammed and Norshad's greatest work. Okay. Absolutely. Who wins? Beiman. And one of the interesting things is Beiman, one of the supporting actors in Beiman was Pran. Correct. Pran goes up on stage, is called up on stage for his best supporting actor award for Beiman, and he refuses to go up on stage. He said, I cannot go up on stage and accept an award when the music of this film has beaten the likes of Pakiza and Amar Prem, which I thought was absolutely amazing. So that is the thing. You know, the kind of upsets that happen, of course, now I think things are much more controlled and, you know, there are voting procedures and all. But I believe in those days, they were cowboys in the 70s. The kind of voting, the kind of films that won over other films is not funny. Fantastic. I mean, there are so many such stories. So with that, we come to an end in main course, but we won't uh, waste any more time and we'll swiftly move into our next section, which is Believe It or Not, where we shall talk about weird news, crazy facts, etc. The journey continues. And Joy, do you have some really weird news for us to share? I have some amazingly weird news for you to share. It may be a bit stale, but I'll share it with you anyway. Correct. Well, there was a fairy tale marriage held in 1981. Prince Charles and Lady Diana and everyone celebrated. The whole of the United Kingdom celebrated. Of course, that marriage didn't go very well. And then, of course, we also lost Lady Di very tragically in the 96 or 97 it was. But somebody is still getting a benefit out of that marriage. Moira Smith, she's a member of the Queen Mother's household at Clarence House. Okay. She had a piece of the wedding cake of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. She put it up for auction 
and it has sold for 1850 pounds a 40 year old cake 40 year old cake has been sold in auction for 1850 pounds which is somebody the gentleman who's bought it his name is Gary Layton he's a luxury boat charterer he said he's putting it in his will so even he doesn't plan to eat it he plans to leave the cake for another 50 years for somebody else to eat i don't know smart what man. you have to say about the cake no smart very <laughs> smart man i'm trying to think joy which one would be more foolhardy or challenging have a fugu fish which is not properly cut or a slice of this cake i mean with full respect to lady di and you know prince charles and and the entire royal family this cake must be having more um germs than the petri dish uh, of alexander fleming which we have discussed earlier i mean or <laughs> I mean, microbes I... or whatever i mean this would be incredible i mean also a slice of cake unless it has been completely you know embalmed if i may use the word and put up yeah, embalmed a, is a good word yeah yeah exactly i mean how would you but what a what a crazy story well my crazy story john is yours probably takes the cake but mine is about a phenomenon <laughs> mine is about a phenomenon for linsanity which is again slightly old story but i thought it's interesting over here uh, which we can talk because we are talking about underdogs and stuff and this is a guy called Jeremy Lin who came out of nowhere in 2012 a basketball player playing for the new york knicks i think he was a yeah don't say came out of nowhere because he came out of harvard Oh. which is a great school but it's not a school known for basketball <laughs> <laughs> correct of all i mean that that will probably one of the last things they would be known for well feb 4 2012 he suddenly scored 25 points against the new jersey nets and out of nowhere he became a star and that sort of started a series of phenomenal performances by jeremy lin he almost single-handedly got the new york knicks into the playoffs with very good shooting and playmaking now this Asian American and I think he has he's from Taiwan or he has roots in Taiwan became a massive sensation and there are not that many Asians who in or till now have actually done that well other than Yao Ming of course of China but you know this guy was a sensation his jersey became the hottest selling jersey of the NBA that year but like a shooting star he came up and then sort of fizzled out i mean i don't know joy you are a bigger basketball fan and especially of the nba you'd probably be able to round this off by saying what happened to him and how long was he able to perform at that level well i think he performed for two or three years the problem is that he's at size and age right. where he was just fantastic when he played but he got some injuries and the kind of game he played the moment he lost that first step of speed he was right. no longer the player it was so you will see a lot of this in the nba players who are very good but because they depend so much on one particular physical ability that first step or that quick release right. that one injury can slow it down and from suddenly from becoming star players and i remember this because uh, a few years later he joined my favorite team the los angeles lakers by that time he was pretty done i think now he's going back and he's playing a lot in the chinese league as well so good for him i think he's had a great career with the kind of physical abilities he had I think he made a terrific game out of it. I think all I'm a huge fan of his. And and the other big story I remember from the 1990s was Joy if I don't know whether you remember was about a underdog called James Douglas who was nicknamed Buster. So he was called James Buster Douglas and what happened there was a fight between him and the reigning heavyweight title holder Iron Mike Tyson and you've all heard of Iron Mike Tyson the boxer the legend 
the guy who loves nibbling at ears when he's in the middle of a fight. And uh, the odds were 42 to 1 in favor of Mike Tyson to win this fight. And it was held in Tokyo. Everybody thought this was one of the easy fights lined up for Tyson. He'd been previously undefeated, by the way. And Douglas almost got knocked out himself in the eighth round. I don't know how he survived till eight rounds, but somehow managed to get to his feet and then knocked out Tyson in the 10th round to shock the boxing world. This was probably one of the biggest upsets in a long, long while because, you know, at that time, Iron Mike Tyson was, you know, unbeatable. And later people said that he wasn't maybe focused on the fight and he didn't take Douglas seriously. But I still remember that was one hell of a newsmaker when this result yeah. came out. Of I mean, in those days, we used to think Mike Tyson would never lose. Exactly. You know, you literally looked at him and you said that, you know, who is, who's bad enough to beat this guy correct so yeah I, I, I remember being absolutely unbelievable I found it you know how he could do it was something I just couldn't believe well that brings us to the end of uh, Believe It or Not I hope you will believe it because these are lovely stories about underdogs and surprise winners we'll get into a small break but before we go again we'd like to remind all our listeners that you can send us your feedback suggestions answers to our quiz questions to this email address fact of the matter india that's one word at gmail.com you can catch all our episodes on amazon music spotify apple podcasts google podcasts basically on whichever platform you prefer please remember to click on the follow button which will ensure that you automatically get informed when a new episode drops you can also check our website anchor.fm backslash fact hyphen off hyphen the hyphen matter simple just leave your feedback stay safe stay well and wait and don't go anywhere because we will be back after this very short break welcome back we move into the second part of our episode where we are talking about surprise winners and underdogs and we move into the section called cute words and phrases and uh, in this every week we try and bring up one word or phrase which is you know interesting or uh, has a slight twist about it and uh, today joy i will start with my word which again is probably well known but it's interesting because it has two different word origins which I managed to find out. It's a word called Southpaw. Now, Southpaw is basically a left-handed baseball pitcher or a left-handed boxer. Now, the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, it says that the word Southpaw originated from the practice in baseball of arranging the diamond with the batter facing east to avoid the afternoon sun. Perfectly understandable, logical, a left-handed pitcher facing west would therefore have his pitching arm towards the south of the diamond. Now, this, the earliest baseball mention of a southpaw apparently appeared in 1858 in reference to this left-handed first baseman and not a pitcher. So there are some stories about whether it was about a batter or a, you know, a baseman, but it was generally you know, associated with baseball and southpaw. A lot of examples, 1900 edition of Arizona's Bisbee Daily Review said that a newspaper called, ball player called Tim Murnane, a southpaw, etc, etc. Now, there are questions around this because somebody pointed out that apparently there were numerous big league stadiums which were not oriented with the pitcher facing this. So therefore, they said, you know what, maybe this isn't the right reason. But a guy called John Thorne who is Joy, incidentally, Major League Baseball's official historian, he told a 
Wall Street Journal columnist called Benzema that he believed that the term for lefties, the southpaw, likely originated from a wholly different sport, which is boxing. And he said, in an 1860 bare-knuckle prize fight, the New York Herald apparently reported that a left-hander David Woods planted his southpaw under his opponent's chin, laying him out as flat as a pancake in the ninth, ninth round. Ah. So, Interesting. Yeah, so which one do you think? I mean, I have a feeling it's probably relevant to both baseball and boxing, something like this, right? Yeah, obviously, I, I think prize fighting has a much longer history, but so I think the second guy could be right. And uh, it's an interesting origin. I mean, Southpaw, and I'm a left-hander myself, so I quite understand this whole Southpaw business. And as a kid, you know, we had much less resources like the internet. So we used to try and find out what it, these were all about. I have a different word. I have a phrase which I wanted to talk about because okay. it just interested me deeply. Okay. It's a phrase called a Janus word. Do you know what Janus words are? Okay. Janus, Janus words are... Yeah. Janus, I'm thinking of January Janus, the two-faced god. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. You're doing really well. So Janus is the two-faced god. That's how January gets its name. The two faces looking in the new year, the old year. Hmm. Now, Janus is a god of January. Okay. But Janus words are words that mean both themselves and their opposites. Now, what does that mean? So, the word clip yeah. Okay, yeah. means, it can mean attach, it can mean cut off also. So, you clip your toenails, but you yeah. clip your files together. Okay. The word dust, okay, you can say, I'm going to dust the house means I'm removing dust. Yeah. And dust means to add dust as well. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Cleave means you can, cleave can also mean to come together or it can mean to slip up, put apart. Fast can mean, hey, you know, without moving, hold fast or it can move moving fast, you know, running fast. So right. it's fascinating that we have words in the English language, which can mean, depending on context, both a particular meaning and its exact opposite. Opposite. And how do they get their name? They're called, they're called Janus words. They're two-faced words. They're looking in two directions. So I just loved it. You know, the thought of having a Janus word is just, it's so funny. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, one one word could be something like upset, Joy. Because, you know, you've been upset in many quizzes during your college days, I remember. And, <laughs> and, it, always made you, and it always <laughs> made you upset as well uh, mentally. Like, you know, so two meanings. So... Not really a Janus word, but you know. Yeah, you're trying hard. You're just trying to get upset into it because this <laughs> this today's episode is all about setups and upsets. And yeah, absolutely. Go for it, man. Yeah. I'll take it. And I, I heard that quizzing reference and I'm not too happy about that. Though. I know, I know. I thought, you know, since I do build you up in every episode, sometimes I need to pull you down. Otherwise, you'll become the favorite <laughs> and then you'll be ripe for a contender to come out of nowhere and upset you. So, hey, I'm on your side finally am i not ah, okay ah. i'll believe but, that i'll believe that but, i'll believe that um that brings us now to a round where one can see an upset or two happening this round is called bare naked lies this is the round where joy and i will ask each other one question the answer to which is either true or false and we will try and beat each other and see if we can win or do an honourable draw and leave the battlefield with our honours intact. Joy, what is your question for this week? Or do you want me to start off with a question this week? Oh, no, I'll start off today. Okay. I'll start off today and said the most famous hockey game, ice hockey game ever in the history of the sport is a miracle of ice, which is a 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid where USA beat the Soviet Union in the finals to win the gold medal. 
that's miracle nice is the most famous hockey ice hockey game ever where the us beat the soviet union upset the soviet union one of the biggest upsets ever and the final match and won the gold medal true okay. or false which year did you say again did you repeat that 1980 i <laughs> i think i know what you're thinking what's the catch you're thinking what is the catch is there a catch out here I'd or is say, it just too straight i'd say true true okay the answer is false because <laughs> there wasn't a final game the it final round four robin. matches were played in a round robin oh, <laughs> sorry god that was so and they bad. had one more that and they had one more match to play after that they had to play one more match and i think they had to beat finland to finally win it and they finally i think yes they beat finland they were losing 2-1 to finland and then they won it they won 4-2 and they won the match so yeah i know it was nasty i know you were looking at it saying where is the where catch, is the catch? But exactly so you're looking at 1980 usa right. uss are the catch was finals the word was fine sorry nasty one 10 yours okay my question is about a battle called the battle of sterling bridge and you if you've seen the movie braveheart you would have seen this um, you know however it's fantastic I, i while researching this story i found out that contrary to whatever you think mel gibson thought you william wallace was not 5 foot 9 the scots did not fight in kilts and apparently the battle of sterling bridge was actually fought on a bridge and uh, it was on september 11th 1297 and uh, england expected scotland to be such a pushover that they you know they just bothered to outnumber them 5 to 1 you know they had about 10000 soldiers against 2000 scottish infantry etc now at the end of the day the scots were up against the english longbows literally the most feared weapon uh, in the world until the arrival of the repeater rifle and uh, all the scots apparently had going into this battle was that there were scotsmen and they had mel gibson shouting out you know tall man with the body of a giant etc but my question is this the at the end of this uh, nearly half the english army was butchered etc but william wallace got his come up once later now in the movie braveheart they show william wallace as being quartered right but in reality in token of hatred his entire skin was taken off and they were made into thongs is this true or not the british to make an example made thongs out of william wallace's skin correct or false okay i'm going to say yes yes right 2-0 2-0 you get a brilliant victory i thought that maybe i would slip one past you and make it sound really improbable but joy realistically that is true as per the historical facts which we have we apparently i mean how cruel can you get i mean you kill a i had some unbelievable story i mean i'm just hearing it and i'm just thinking about it unbelievable yeah, story I mean, not only decapitated but also make thongs out of their skin anyways two nil you win good victory but it's a long long way to go but now it's time for the audience No surprise winners here. We have winners of those who have answered last week's question correctly. Where Joy, you spoke about uh, your question was about a Bollywood movie. Yes, I mean, which Indian media personality or which Indian media personalities got their names from the film Parak 
and from a song from the film Parak, and of course the song is O Sajna Barka Baharai. Barka Dutt, obviously you all heard of her, and Bahar Dutt, who's also a environmental journalist and a very known journalist in her own right. Barka and Bahar got their names from that song. So yeah, that was our question. You have, do you have any winners? Yes, we have quite a few winners, and I'll give out the names one by one. Anurakti Sharma got it correct. Shantanu Sharma got it correct. Um, we have. Uh, Anant Ram, who got it correct. Ramesh Mohorana got it correct. Ramesh Mohorana, in fact, uh, gave a few songs and Joy interestingly said, one connection is Barkha Dutt and if this is the connection, then I'll stop listening to FOT and with immediate effect. It's so silly. So I thought, let me mention it straight away and uh, give him the pleasure of us sharing his comment. <laughs> Please don't stop listening to us. <laughs> KK got it correct. Tapas Tiwari got it correct. Tapas Tiwari also said he searched for songs on Spotify. Tapas doesn't matter whichever way you do it. You are a regular. You keep answering all our questions and you have got it correct. Again, Neeraj Dubey got it correct. Very good answer, Neeraj Dubey. And then there is somebody called Dinkar who's also given us some feedback. And Arijit Hajra got it correct. Joy, an old friend, Devayan Sen got this correct. Big shout out to Devayan. Wonderful. And, absolutely. Uh, old ESPN mates. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are the correct answers. Please keep answering like always all our questions. Why? Because this week, Joy has another one for you. Joy, what's your question this week? Since we started with underdogs and upsets and the US Open, we'll end with a tennis question. We talked about uh, Mats Willander winning an unseeded player winning a Grand Slam tournament that is in 1982. But who was the first person in the Open era to win a Grand Slam tournament as an unseeded player? Who's the first person in the Open era to win a Grand Slam tournament as an unseeded player? That's our question for the day. Fantastic. I shall also try and uh, get an answer out of that. And I'm absolutely sure, Joy, this is not Mickey Mouse. No, I don't <laughs> think so. No, just just taking out one answer from potential answers for everybody. See, I'm, I, I'm doing everyone a favor. I'm always for the underdog, rooting for the underdog. But anyway, enough of dogs, underdogs, surprise winners. Let's see who can come up with the right answer to these questions. I hope all of you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed bringing this to you. So till next week, another episode, more crazy facts, more weird news, more quiz questions. This is Joy and me signing off. Goodbye. Stay safe. Stay well.